This episode, actually, this season of Tune on Toast, it's all happening thanks to Velvet Hammer Music and Management Group. So they manage bands like Corn, AFI, System of a Down, uh, Alice in Chains, and Avenged Sevenfold. Bino is the president and the CEO. He took me to lunch about six weeks ago. He supports the arts, love the arts, and his entire company happens to love Tune on Toast. And he's like, Stryker, all of us want you to put out an episode every single week. Have any band, any artist in the world you want to have on. We just want to support you because we love the show. And as a result, you're getting the new Tuna on Toast every single week. Thank you, Velvet Hammer. Now let's get to another episode. Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called Tuna on Toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music and I love those that create it. Yeah, welcome to another episode of Tune on Toast. It is your friend Ted Stryker. If it's your first time here, welcome to the Tune on Toast community. If you've been here before, welcome back. All right, Tyson Ritter is going to join us in just a second, and this episode rules in a zillion ways. But a couple friendly reminders as you stream this episode, if you could please rate my podcast, however you're streaming it, and just write a quick, awesome, one-sentence review. It really helps uh, this show, which I am an independent podcast. I basically do everything on my own. Also, did you know you can watch all of these episodes? Your boy, Ted Stryker, Tuna on Toast with Stryker on YouTube. You can watch every episode. And what a library we have. Everybody from uh, Tom DeLong, Mike Shinoda, K Flay, Bishop Briggs, M Shadows, Nick Hexham, Derek from Sum 41, Shabo, Fat Mike, Lars from Rancid, Brett Gurwitz from Bad Religion. And now let's get to Tyson Ritter from Stillwater, Oklahoma. He just wanted to get out of there. He got his record deal at 17 years old. What was that like getting the deal at 17? He talks all about it. The pressure of writing hits. I mean, think of all the All-American Reject songs. They've put out four albums. And I ask him, like, how come you put haven't put out an album as All-American Rejects in 47 years? What a great answer he has. But gives you hell and move along. Swing, swing. Dirty Little Secret, the last song. I mean, just one incredible song after another. And if you didn't know... Uh, Tyson has a new band called Now More Than Ever, which I've played three different songs from that album on my radio show, but please check that out. And he's in a new movie, and he's going toe-to-toe with Brian Cox, Logan Roy from Succession. Like, I put myself in Tyson's shoes thinking, all right, yeah, I'm Tyson Ritter. I'm super talented. I study acting. I take it seriously. And now you're going to be in a role fresh off the... Uh, last season of Succession, and you're going with Brian Cox in serious, difficult scenes. The One of the craziest things from this episode, I asked Tyson Ritter, what was your inspiration for this character to get yourself ready? And I'll just tell you the big bullet point of the story. His inspiration was Machine Gun Kelly because Tyson was filming a different movie with Megan Fox. So Tyson goes into Megan Fox's trailer to ask her a question about one of their scenes. He says something to Megan, and then something happens with Machine Gun Kelly. It's a very, very wild story. It's just a small part of this entire episode. There's so many awesome nuggets in here. We learn so much of Tyson Ritter, the man, and Tyson Ritter, the artist. So 
Thank you again for listening to this show, Tuna on Toast. I really appreciate you. Oh, merch is coming soon, by the way. Keep your eye out for new Tuna on Toast merch. Without any further ado, please welcome to the Tuna on Toast studio, the one and only Tyson Ritter. Here we go. Watch your head here because you're very tall. Watch your feet. And that's for you right there. Fancy. This is the room. This This is is the the Tuna on Toast room. Yes. Ugh, phone on silent, Oasis down by my side. Man, it's been so long since I've come out of my house. This is such a jarring oh confrontation right now. It Two is. Two cameras. Three cameras. Flanking. Oh, Christ, I didn't even see you over there. Look at us in the wide. But nobody's watching. It's just... A- I know. It's just... <laughs> it's the how. It's 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 how from uh, space uh, yes. Odyssey, man. Do you appreciate people in your space, or do you sage right after they leave? You're like, listen, man. <laughs> we just had Stephen Jenkins in here, and I think I need to burn a stalk of sage the size of a fucking baby's <laughs> arm. <laughs> Before I started the podcast, I had people over here so rarely because i do get a little like i feel obligated to entertain and are they having a good time and do they yeah, need like water? do you want some cheese right plate yeah i don't know what to do just <laughs> sit down and talk and then get the fuck out of my house yeah that's no stuff. but this i've really i think it's helped me mentally having so many guests come over oh i'm sure i'm sure this is like second nature for you yeah i, I remember when i was in the rejects uh younger days in the rejects younger, younger days, I remember going over to like you know who was the guy who was like super syndicated that uh, t- the house open house party. Oh, the open house party. With, it was some dude who's like you know it, Hamilton who, Hollywood who had, Hamilton. No, it was like I don't know. It was op- it was some guy who was like on every pop. Uh, you'd go to his house in the middle of the fucking woods. No. Yeah, and he had like an airplane hanger in the back, and it was really creepy. And you were just like, oh shit! Like there was nothing more self. Or just more confronting than going to some self-made from home radio disc jockeys like cabin oh. in the woods. <laughs> this is probably a fucking great horror movie concept. There, you got to get. There's got to be like a Britney, uh, like a. There's a movie. There's got to be a movie about like a Britney Spears type character going. Or they're coming here. Girl. <laughs> 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 fucking genius, this guy. Oh God. It's been in front of me long enough that I'm just comfortable with it. I don't even see this thing. All right, here we go. How are you feeling out of your bubble in life and over here at my house right now? It feels great to be at someone's house. I will say that. It's it's crazy. I'm such a hermit now that, uh, yeah, going over to someone's house and having a giant, you know, futuristic capsule put in front of my face <laughs> and another handsome man over there behind the camera with three... Howls staring at me. Yeah, this is like, oh, right. I I used to do this. I don't do this that often anymore. Like the whole, you know, song and dance, even though it's really nice and disarming over at your home. Thank you. It doesn't feel so song and dancey. Although, da 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 da. No, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Um, I don't know if the cameras can see the water you brought. And I do, I'm not putting it down at all because you're, look, you're, I have water. You are, you're, no, I'm not. I put it down. You're asking me to pick it up. Just to show real quick. Uh, I'm one of those people. <clears throat> I'm, I got the big jug. And you're just jealous with your little baby baby water over there. With your Oh, look at me with my six ounces of water. As I, I could literally flood your home if I just accidentally, just a twist of the hand. But what I'm worried about is not that you brought over that water. 
It's that in eight minutes from now, when we're really going at it conversationally, I'm going to be just having to pick it up and inter- have to go. We, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. No, no, no. I pee in that as well. It's great. <laughs> it's not only the vessel, but it also receives. Okay. <laughs> so within the last 24 hours, maybe 48 hours, I saw on your Instagram, you posted a trailer for a movie called Prisoner's Daughter, which you are yeah. in with. Brian Cox. With Logan Roy. Logan Roy from dude, Succession. Dude, that's some hard, that, that was crazy shit to me whenever I got that role. Yeah, crazy. And so, Kate Beckinsale, yep. Can awesome. I just pepper you with some questions about that? Oh, yeah, pepper me, pepper away. When did you film the film? Shoot it. Uh, we shot that in Vegas. We shot that in Vegas, uh, man, it was October of t- last year. Um, okay. Yeah, sorry. Like ever since my son was born, my my like timeline just goes beep. But yeah, October last year. And is this the move? Is this a movie that you auditioned for? You had to go in and read or put yourself on film first. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Catherine Hardwick uh, directed the film, and um, she, I, I'd been in another film with her and Tony Collette uh, that that she directed with Tony Collette. And she called me up and was like, we can't find this guy, um, this character uh, to fill the role. Would you want to, I know it's kind of a, it's kind of a something that I don't know you'd be willing to approach. He's a really dark spirit, but would you be willing to, to read for it? And I just had my son and I was like flying high on that adrenaline of like receiving this great, great gift. And I was like, absolutely, absolutely. Let's go. Let's go. And I walked into this room and I did it and. I walked out and I knew I was going to get it. It was really one of those cool moments that happened. Damn the water. <laughs> water. I've had too much water. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was a really cool get for me. When you go in for an audition, and I've been in a few movies having one or two lines, but nothing that where I was like so stressed and I had to be a real character. Wait, wait. Do I need to look up your IMDb right now? Grandma's boy. Oh, no shit. Yes. Yeah. You know when they go to the vegan restaurant? I'm the person that's like, I've chosen the best table, enjoy the harmony, blah, 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 oh, blah. Oh, that's a great role. Uh, that's a great role for you. You have a very disarming, like, mellow disposition. You feel you. like you could own a vegan restaurant. Yes, enjoy the harmony. Wow. Yeah. But back to <laughs> You, I, That's awesome. Thanks, Sorry. man. <clears throat> when you audition to be in a movie, especially like you did for this, what is the kind of preparation that you're putting in for that? Not for the, once you get it, but to prepare and show yourself off on what you can do. I mean, for the audition, it's just like you go with your gut. You you try to find a strong choice that the material hits you with, and that's the best you can do because you have usually like 48 hours at most. Wow. To, to go in there and do 10 pages of dialogue for for a role that, you know, you often don't have the entire script for. So the imagination is everything for that. Um, so, yeah, it was, it's I, I enjoy the audition process. It's really, um, I think it's your one opportunity to present before you have any outside influence of, of you know, someone else's vision for a character. How different is it? singing on stage to 40,000 to auditioning. I'm not talking about being on oh. set, but like nerves, excitement, anxiety. Is there any of that? Um, I think playing for 40,000 people is easier than playing for 1,000. Um, mm. When you're in a stadium or in a giant festival, you feel like you are one of the rides at the circus, not necessarily the entire <laughs> ride. Uh, so yeah, for, for auditioning, it feels like... Reminds me of like these club shows I've been playing with now more than ever. Um when you play for 300 to 400 people, it's really 
intimate. And it's as if you're in a room full of five people um, auditioning. It's very similar to that. But they see you, you know, five people in a room watching you audition. They really peer into your truth. And to me, that's it, man. That's all it is. You're just basically trying to convey truth because everything, just as I'm sitting here, I'm sure I'm a little bullshit maybe. Because I don't know, as this continues, maybe I'll finally get comfortable enough. But right now I'm like... We're doing an interview. It's Ted Stryker. I we're we've we're like online friends. Yes. And now I'm we like this is the first the time years. we get to sit down. You know, I think the last time I saw you was on the audience network special that we on did. The TV show. And that again is like huge production around right. you. It's a show. Yeah. Um yeah. this this isn't really a show. This is like, oh shit, like I'm I see your 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 memorabilia wall that looks well curated. I'm I'm like Thanks, seeing man. this guy. Uh, so yeah, this reminds me of an audition. In a, in the sense that you we're having an intimate uh, exchange that is either going to be conveyed to the viewer as like bullshit or just a show. Or sorry, which is the same thing, bullshit or truth. You know, my attempt for every person that's here, I ask things. That I am genuinely curious about because yeah, 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 yeah. I love performers because I know from my vantage point and what I do, which is a million times smaller, I know than you. It's really hard to get there to the place you want to go. It's really hard, and staying there is hard. Yeah, yeah. And when you get there, though, that's why you do it, right? That right. Fifteen seconds of holy shit! This guy just gave me a nugget that I know. I had to unearth with my line of questioning and and he gave it to me and it's mine and it's special and it's only mine. Or, oh, fuck, this guy's coming in here and he's just selling shit. Like he's putting up his, his record on the fucking thing and he's just being a peddler and he's not going to open up to me. So I imagine that's like your victories are like the same way with auditioning. The moment you feel like, oh, shit, you leave it in the room, you're like, I just... I was being true. Mm. I was being truth in that yeah. in that moment. That's where you're like, oh, this is what I'm chasing. This is the heroine of life. <laughs> Were you able to find your truth on set with Brian Cox, the actor who's been in the business forever, who is so well-respected? Do you feel <sighs> int- intimidation at all? I, when the camera's going, you can't be. You need to be relaxed fully, right? Yeah. No, no. I mean, well, what's great is you need to be what the character is. Um, and in this... Uh, in this moment, you know, in the moments I share with Brian Cox, I had to be really unhinged and really on top of like on top of him even. Like we did I remember a couple scenes we did and I was like, I have to be I'm I'm driving this scene. You know, he he oh was the passive God. one. And when you're going up against Logan Roy and <laughs> Uh, even, even, you know, like all the seminal scenes, uh, Agamemnon from, from Troy, this guy was seminal to my upbringing. So to stare him back in the face, not as myself, but as someone who truly hates him. I remember I was, I started painting, um, in Vegas pretty much. That was when I was starting to paint and I painted this painting of him. I was, I, I hated him. Uh, immediately I, I made the decision. I was like, I fucking hate Brian Cox. Not Brian Cox, but I hate his character in the film, so I have yeah. to hate him yeah. right now, which really wasn't pleasant, but I had no choice because my character was arriving, man. Um, and when you're in that process, you just open yourself to whatever it, it gives you. And I did this painting of this 
just this anger. I just was visceral, and I yeah. was just and I gave it to the makeup artist at the end because <laughs> she was holding space for me. But I remember looking at this, I was like, "Holy shit, man! It looked like Hell Hellraiser." Uh, and I was like, "I really, I really need to like make sure I contain this anger." And he was so he's he's a stage actor, so he was really true with himself. Uh, he, he can he could literally turn it on and off like he's he's a wow. gangster. So wow. you mean like five minutes before he can have a five seconds? Oh wow! He doesn't even have to take a breath. Like I saw him. There's a mo- there's a scene in the film. I'm sorry, I'm going long winded. No, please, about this. I love. This. But there's a scene I in the film. Love where, this. Yeah, yeah. There's a scene in the film where he walks on in drunk as shit, and two seconds before he's like, "Oh, blah blah blah, you fucking cunts!" Like he's kind of got this beatnik poet vibe about him, and you know, it's just so easygoing, like a disarmed, you know, like like the fun uncle from New York uh, that used to hip it around with. Uh, 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 Kirouac and shit, you know, on the in the Lower East Side, and he was like, blah 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 blah, and then all of a sudden, one step in, action, boom, and he's this drunk dad who's angry, and I was like, oh, fuck, it's just that easy for you. Whereas I'm like putting myself through, you know, not I'm trying not to be too torturous with myself with this role, but I knew I wanted, you know, I'm young in my craft, so I really had to commit to not being like, holy shit, it's Brian Cox, right, right. So, so I have to stay in it a lot more. Um, but but anyway, that was like the ease of this guy, man. He was uh, he was a treat to work across from. Prisoner's daughter will be in select theaters June thirtieth. Yeah, June thirtieth is the date on that. Yeah. What is your character's name in the movie, and what was your, I guess, inspiration to play this character? Uh, my uh, my character's name is Tyler, and. Um, and it's uh, and so I was inspired to play this role. Based, I mean, this is kind of crappy to say, but my dad, my dad, you know, he drinks some beers. So um, it's like sort of my dad when he's at his drunk, wildest self. And um, and it, and it's funny. I actually had this experience where I was shooting this other film at the same time as Prisoner's Daughter with Megan Fox. It's called Johnny and Clyde. It's yes. uh, it's not. It's they not rob a, a casino, right? Oh, yeah, it's. it's uh oh. I don't know. I loved everybody in the production. Boy, it's just an okay, really kind of a bad movie. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I'm juggling both these movies, and I fly out to to Providence, Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island, and I'm with. I go. Uh, I'm. We're on set, and um, I go over to Megan's trailer because. In this, in the film, there was this, uh, there's this scene that I, she basically teases me putting my, my fingers in her mouth. Okay. Like she's, she's like a villain. I'm like her henchman. And so I walked over to her and wanted to discuss this moment where a monster rips out her fucking heart. Uh, that's, that's her death scene. Um, so I go over Spoiler there. alert. Yeah. So okay. I go over there and there's her, her man in, in there with her name, this Colson guy. Um, who you know as yes. as Machine Gun Kelly? Yes, I call him Pistol Pete. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I go over there and I was like, "Hey, Megan. Um, you know, I wanted to talk to you about this moment where, you know, when you die because you've been teasing, putting my fingers in your mouth. That when you're dead, I put my fingers in your mouth, and it's like this sort of resolution to my character, like getting his revenge and the greatest." The, what happened after that was the greatest sort of gift from my 
role at, in the other film, The Prisoner's Daughter, um, Coulson like just goes from zero to like awesome, like rage and awesome, super angry. Uh, he was super bummed about me asking if I could put my fingers in Megan Fox's mouth, and I knew I knew she was right there. And he just went ballistic. No. Uh, it kind of went maniac mode. And I was like, it's funny, man. Like, I just kind of held the space for it. And I was like, this is this is what I've been looking for with my character on Prisoner's Daughter. So, because the next day I had to shoot this scene in Vegas where this character goes in and confronts Kate Beckinsale, who's his ex-wife. And... Uh, he goes from zero to ape shit, and I didn't. I was really struggling how to how to to throw that switch, and I needed to figure it out. And you know, when Christian Bale talks about his role for American Psycho, he said he used Tom Cruise's interview with like Matt Lauer because he's because he was like, "There's this really detached." I know that he leans in and he's like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. This detached sort of assertion to him right. there, and I was like, I remember when when. When Pistol Pete just started going ape on me, I was like, this is really, this is really confrontational, but also like, thank you, dude. And he might have been having a bad day, but I'll, I'll never forget. Like, I, so, so I, my, a lot of my role in that one moment, especially, it's not only my dad being like his drunkest, wildest self, but mm-hmm. there's a little bit of Pistol Pete in my, uh, my role for, wow. for prisoner stuff. And this was an acting choice that you wanted to make. Yeah, you but I couldn't find it. But I, no, but you said it in front of him. And he still went bananas on yeah, you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, look. Was hey, it resolved? Anything resolved? Oh, did, did, did you do it in the movie? No resolution. It was just like, I, I was just like, I think the whole experience <laughs> for me was like, what the actual fuck is right. happening? That's he had this wild. like baby's arm of a joint dangling out of his mouth. <laughs> and he, he was he was fully unhinged. And I was just like, okay, man, I'm just going to receive you. Because uh, obviously, yeah, it wasn't going to be anything crazy. Uh, but yeah, that was... Uh, it's funny, even going back to thinking about it, I'm like, holy shit, that, yeah, that was like That's the greatest, wild. it was the greatest gift. And Megan was such a sweetheart uh, to work with that it was kind of just a really singular moment. So yeah, that's that story. That's, so that's where I got the role. And, and, that's what, and that's what I love about it is you can get the gifts for your characters from the most ridiculous occurrences. Right. It was such right. an insane experience for me. This is a good time to take a mini break, but still on camera. Oh, cool. I've got just a quick trivia game for you. <clears throat> Go on, it's trivia. the All-American Reject Game. Okay, cool. Let's All play this game. All that in quotes, like you would see this on Jeopardy. You ready? Yeah. This 1980s comedy TV series is about a school teacher who has superpowers. Oh, uh, a teacher who has superpowers? Yeah, 1980s comedy on TV. Oh, comedy on TV? Don't know, man. You passed. This I'm, horror movie was written and directed by Robert Zombie. That's what I call him. Oh, it uh, takes place in a motel and there's a lot of murders. Oh, the clown? The 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 the, the, the devil's ma- rejects. Yes. This product is a laundry detergent. Um this product it, with the word rejects in it? No, it that's not the game. Uh what's uh, what's the game called? Uh the All American Pass. God damn it. I Stifler's don't get it yet. mom is super hot in this movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, American Pie. <laughs> it's got one of the words in it. Some gotcha. Some men brag that they can do this deed for this amount of time. It's also a Lionel Richie song. Oh, fucking on the ceiling. 
I was looking for all night long. <laughs> Going back to number one, the greatest American hero. Uh, Here we go. Devil's Rejects. The product is called All. The greatest American hero? What the fuck is that movie? Who was I in it? You weren't even born yet. I'm 84. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, was going, I just thought All American Rejects. Oh, I love it. No, no, uh, this is American fun. Pie All Night Long. I like fucking on the ceiling, honestly. <laughs> I hope I hope that's uh, Lionel Richie's song that he does eventually make. <laughs> oh, Great game. Jesus Christ. Thank you. I like this game. Thank you. We can the, keep doing that if you just want. It's funny. <laughs> Do it again. You mentioned your dad a second ago. Yeah, Is Do you have a relationship with him now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a relationship with my dad. Okay. We're, uh, yeah, we're, we're on fine terms. Yeah, yeah. We uh, love the guy. Yeah. We're, I'm from Oklahoma, so, uh, you know, your f- Oklahoma families go through a lot. You know, second, I think, highest divorce rate in America. Wow. Um, Oklahoma. Some really questionable politics in the in, in that arena. Um, but, yeah, I'm grateful for where I'm from, and especially starting the rejects in Oklahoma. Um, right. It, we had two ways to get out of there, and that was either, like, you know, throw a football or – or play music and everybody it's so funny like every california band you always hear like everybody says like you hear the story of like blink and you're like yeah they were playing parties and they seemed cool <laughs> like when you're in oklahoma nobody gives a shit if you have a band especially like a not country band or mm. you know just something that felt like approachable for that demographic down there. I don't know. Like swing, swing. It was how was that going over in two thousand one uh, and two? That went over. Fu- like it's funny from the first record on. Like that shit was fine. I'm talking about getting there. Uh, you know, like playing college bars at thirteen and oh. doing covers of you know Buggles and the Ramones. That was actually cool. But my point is, is our you know we were playing to college kids when we were like thirteen and fifteen. Wow. Um, anybody in our high school did not give a shit about our music. It was, it was a little too, I, I don't know. I think everybody that saw a band playing in high school in the high school I was from was like, sure. You know what I mean? Like good, good try. You're trying. You're not doing it like on the movies, like on the movies. You're no Garth Brooks. I, I don't know. Maybe you're no Garth Brooks, but you're also like, you know, they just saw American Pie. You're like, you're no Blink-182. Yeah. It was always like the comparison was like, no, man, you're not the movie. You know, we just watch, we just go to the movies on Friday night. We don't go to somebody's house and watch a band play. That's that's way too real world shit. I've been thinking about this lately and actually had a discussion with Alex from All Time Low. When you're 15 years old and you're in a band and you're good, you don't get the same respect as a good 15-year-old athlete. Like, you don't get driven around from city to city like the athletes, the 15-year-olds that are in soccer leagues or baseball leagues or whatever it is. Yeah, but you run fast. Good job. You get from point A to point B. We know you're good. We saw how fast you went from there to there. We know you put the ball in the bucket X amount of times. We see that what sort of what you calculate as being good at a sport has to be proven either on the points board or just in the statistic of your Correct. ability. Yes. Music is subjective like art. So it's just in the eye of the beholder or the ears of the beholders. So I just feel like they you don't can get the suck. same look though, even if you're not a great band, but maybe you are because 
How many famous people have come from these music singing shows? There's like five or six, but all of them can sing really well. Totally. I think I think that's what's changed, or that's what's always been weird about music is you have singers and you have songwriters, and then you have singer-songwriters or like bands that write songs. So great singers, just because you can sing, man, doesn't mean you're an artist. It means you're a fucking singer. I know people that go to college for singing. I've met those people. There's something, and 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 congrats to all those people who have mastered their technique and have sought to become a great singer solely. Um, you know, that's why you sing the songs that other people write. Like, that's one side of it that demands a certain amount of respect on just one side. To me, and I don't know how about you, but artists I love... They weren't professional singers. No. I like I love the Talking Heads and that guy. I'll never forget. Do you remember the rest of the story with Paul Harvey? Was yes. it Paul Harvey? And that's the rest of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I heard this story that he did when I was a kid, and I remember. And they're like, and basically, it was about a guy who went to a singing coach, and the singing coach was like, "Son, you should never sing. We've tried. You are not a singer. Don't do it." And he's like, and that went on to be David Byrne. Yeah. From the talking heads. And I was like, that's fucking great. You know, same, same with like Frank Black, like of the Pixies. I love his voice. He is a preacher to me. To me, I don't give a shit about singers. I care about people that sound like art from the jump, man. Like, I don't know. I, there's something that shakes you within when you hear someone that you connect to and that what they're saying sounds like their words. And that matters so much more to me than, you know, the the great story on stage at fucking American Idol, man. I mean, hats off to those kids. It's not my that's not my bag, man. I look back now. I, I, I there are still great artists emerging, but as far as catching them on ABC at eight o'clock, that's I don't know if I don't know if that's I don't know if that's where you need to be looking. Authenticity, and you tell me because maybe I'm off the deep end on this. Means more Sometimes now blow bubbles. Means more now than Anything because people means are now more than ever means now more than ever. Just to use that <laughs> colloquial, people can buy can see if you're full of s much faster than 10, 15 years ago. And if these lyrics aren't connecting and they seem fake, <laughs> and there's forty one people that wrote it, there's some artists. Of course, they can get away with it because they're they're performing. Yeah, I was about to say some artists get away with that yeah, shit, but man. They, but there's they have a star quality that others. Don't have. Maybe I'm digging myself in a hole right now. No, here. no, no. You can. This is a safe space. It's your space, man. Well, it's your space too, right no, now. No, no, no. I like this. Um, you know, I don't even so know what I'm a, saying. No, no, no. People know when you're not being authentic more today than previous. And there's only a handful of artists that can get away with having 15 songwriters because they've built up the credibility over the last 15 years on how gee damn good they are at performing. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I I I um I agree with like most of that. For me, I I think when you have fifteen writers on a song and you're in a band, yeah. and you're on a fucking assembly line, <clears throat> you know there. And this sort of bodes to that that question that I often get asked about. You know, when are you going to do another rejects record? Will Will you ever make another rejects record? And I see. First off, you know, I see my contemporaries that I came up with and I see what they're doing. Not not general or not anything more than just generally I see what they they're doing and I feel like some of them have fallen on the sword 
just to be able to peddle their shit and to extend their legacy beyond a generation that found them. And I think it's the, like, to me, to be, if somebody was like, hey, man, we got these guys who are writing a song for you in the studio, and you just have to put your little spit on it and polish, and there you go. You are now a band that used to, that went from writing everything within to now farming your shit out and just to sell it to a reduced version of what mm. you, of your musicality. That sounds like fucking the end of art to me. Like that is the death of, of the purity. And so, you know, Nick and I in, in the rejects, Nick Wheeler. Yeah. 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 We've, um, yes, full names. <laughs> he has grown. He and I started this. I was 17 when I got signed and put out swing swing and they were, oh, they were playing that shit on the radio. Dang. So I'm 39 now. And to say that we can just walk back in <laughs> to the same room and experience that the rejects not only started with, but you know, stopped doing after the fourth record when I was 28 is like bullshit. Right? Like, I mean, I don't know. It's bullshit to think, oh, you're just going to sit down and do it like you used to. Now, you can say, we're having fun doing this. Cool. I don't do this for fun. I know it might sound like, oh, well, you just write, you just have, you know, historically written, uh, you know, simple pop rock songs. It's like, yeah, man, but that was, that was over, you know, a decade of, you know, of growing up in front of a record button. Right. You know, I've had 10 plus years now to find myself a little bit more and, um, I've, I've collaborated with other people. I'm starting a, a, a new projects that define me now. So to go back into that room of the All American Rejects and to say it's just like we did it, and to approach it just like we did it, would be would be opportunistic. Would be like, oh, let's go, let's go, fuck this thing back to life instead of being like, okay, cool. I don't know why I got into necrophilia with that analogy. That's right. That's that seems, right. that seems really I, weird. I don't doesn't. want to, I have no, Can I, push back on I have one no thing? desire to fuck dead things. <laughs> I know. Um, especially back to life, even though what a superpower. Um, <laughs> that was in the eighties sitcom. There was a great ep- third, third episode. Was what awesome. is happening? <laughs> Tyson. Yeah. Is there not a way to be forward moving while being nostalgic at the same time? Yeah, I mean, well, you but mean everything like, you said makes sense to me, and I hear you, and I agree with you. But I'm just playing no, no, devil's, devil's advocate. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I don't dismiss when people say, "Oh, I want another Rejects record." That would be cool. It would be cool if, you know, if there was a perfect storm to make it happen. You know, I, I can't pretend that I'm not different than I was then. Sure, Nick can't pretend he's different from what he was then. So in order to approach that experience again, in order to reprint the concert T-shirt. From the 1980s <laughs> and not feel like a fucking dickhead for wearing it. There has to be some sort of evolution. There has to be, it has to move forward. And it doesn't involve putting, uh, you, you know, a feature list together on your fucking record and really selling the shit up the river. Remember when that was cool like three years ago? It was like every track of a band right. was just features because it was just like this. I don't know. I have opinions on it, obviously strong ones. I just think the to, in order to do it again, it it would literally have to sound like a different band, not purposefully, but because that's where we are now. Your taste and who you guys are, you just said it, but I want to reiterate. 
I look back at my stuff I did ten years ago, and some of it I'm like, oh, you want to kick your ass? I cringe. I'm like, oh my you may- god. Some of it it was beautiful, and some of you're like, oh man, I just want to shake the shit out of my younger self. Yes, yeah, one thousand percent. I want to give a shout out, and I don't know if you've been following Billy Corgan at all or care about the guy. He just put out a thirty-three song rock opera concept album. He didn't just put out one song and then wait twelve months. It's Put out 11, then a little bit of time, 11 more, then a little bit of time, 11 more. Full concept album. He's like, I hope people take the time to listen to these songs and get into it. And I awesome. really appreciate that. No, that's awesome. I, I don't see to me, that's a really specific scenario, right? Billy Corgan is the Smashing Pumpkins. Now, the sound, yes, you got Ehaw and uh, Darcy's not with them anymore. No. Chamberlain. Yeah. Um, but they. That, that's like a, the that's the way bands worked. One, you know, even the Beatles when they started even getting fringy, they would still all bring what they brought to the group, right? They're like, "Yo, I got this song. Let's work it up." There was always a starting point, you know. And I, uh, I love that. I think I think Billy Corgan is like the the genuine article. I mean, yes. he is he is the real deal. Um, so the fact that he's still doing it, dude, he has no reason to do it. Like, except for because he wants to, because he loves what he does. Like, I'm sure that guy doesn't expect to, you know, put expectations on his music. Um, Whereas I feel like, and and also you notice Billy Corgan's not doing a fucking Sprite commercial right now for his new record. No. He's not, (laughs) he's not whoring himself out just to push a new narrative of an old or beloved, which things can be both. Um, band. So I respect that. The things I don't respect are when I see artists out there that are either, you know, I, I don't respect artists really. <laughs> I, I don't want to sound so heavy handed that, that feel like bullshit and, and that take that for whatever it is like, Oh, this feels like a bullshit thing. Why are you playing this thing? And why the fuck does it feel like, you know, your production is totally like uh, pandering to some sort of current thing. You're like, please, please believe that I'm now and today. It's like, I don't, I don't give a shit next. Like, and I'm sure people, 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 you know, it's funny. I don't do this for relevance anymore. And I think at the moment, I don't think Billy Corgan does it for relevance anymore. If he did, he, you would see, like I said, you'd see, he, you know, he'd drop, you know, he'd, he'd, you'd see him like he'd pull his face back and he'd fucking yeah. bleach his hair and he'd look like uh, this. Hold on a minute here. He'd look like a new era. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Hey, I, I thought it was natural. You're not a natural blonde? No, but I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, you remember that transformation when Jewel, like, tried to step away from. Yes. Um, and that was cool, but it was also kind of like, what's going on here? Or Chris Gaines from your Garth Brooks. I feel like that extremity back in the day when Garth Brooks became Chris Gaines, everybody's like lost that's watching this right now. It's all right though. But yeah. it was like Google after the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, everybody goes, What the fuck? And he played SNL and it was like, What the fuck? That nowadays is just digested as, Oh my God, it's like a new thing. <laughs> Look, I love what they're doing. It's like, Fuck, man. No, you just corrupted my fucking band, man. Don't corrupt my band. These were, this was my band. Uh, you now you just turned them into a bubblegum like AI version of themselves, and I don't like that because it's they're willingly doing it. Um, I feel like I've really went on a tirade about other. Oh, yeah, it's been perfect. Yeah, sorry. I, but again, this is coming from a guy who hasn't put out a record with his 
old band. Since 2012 ish. Since 2012 ish. So fuck wow. me, right? Fuck me. I'm I'm too afraid. Uh because uh because I don't want I don't wanna I'd rather I'd rather leave the legacy intact, be proud, and then move on, which is what I've done with now more than ever. Yes, great segue. Yeah. Now more than ever. Not gonna pat myself on the back, but I've been attempting to lead the charge with radio spins with the great songs <laughs> yeah. on here. Honestly. No, I'm no the the fact that you that you have like given it a day in court is like such a it means so much to me and to the guys. Uh, yeah, thanks for spinning us. When you have a chance after you listen or watch our chat, please in this order, these are the songs I would like you to listen to. Go tragedy, that's my favorite. Then go heart to heart after that. Then go don't rush, don't wait after that. Get the three, digest them, listen to them ten times each, and then hit the rest of the songs. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. That's my cell right there for it. I like that cell. That's that's a really uh, that's a really complimentary cell. I appreciate that. Of course. Yeah. So we understand why now more than ever is happening. So who are the two gentlemen with you in the band? Uh, this is this silhouette belongs to my good friend Izzy Fontaine, and this is Scott Chesick. Um, Two people that I have encountered over the years on the road. Mm. Uh, Scott plays keys uh, with the Rejects. And it was kind of born right before the pandemic, this idea of uh, of just wanting to write to write, man. Uh, the one thing that I had missed was like writing with other people. And I never had done it like this. With Nick and I, I would be in this part of the room. He'd be in the other part of the room. And he'd be waiting for me to like bring a start to him, bring bring something, a chorus, chorus and a verse, whatever. Um, and I, I, that's not like I always wanted to know what it would feel like to write something together with someone. And this was like, this was that experience. And it's two other people who musically come from completely different realms. Mm. Scott's like a jazz rock guy, and Izzy is this like alien uh a multi-talented guitarist like the bucket head of our generation um so to be able to sit down with them and create a band together and to have songs that felt like really pure and fun uh that, that that's like the dream right to have that truthful uninfluenced like pure experience instead of just three songs and calling it a day why did you guys, or what was the what was happening with all your brains that it went from like you, these are not? Then you had nine songs on this thing. This is a full on project. This yeah. isn't a side project. This is a project. Yeah, no, I mean, we just started collecting them. At first, we didn't know what they were going to be for. Um, I just knew I loved being able to write songs in a guy's studio in Studio City and just exercise that 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 feeling. You know, i I've been I've been you know off. Writing this cycle that with the rejects was we do two years on the road, Oof. we do two years off the road to write a record to do two years on and two years off, and we had done that for four records. And at the end of it, I was like, "Fuck this cycle, man! I've lost my my the end of my youth to serving this this road dogging experience, man. Like I." I'm the the singers I think have it the worst on the road because you're doing seven shows a week uh in an eight day week. Hmm. Uh so which is hard to explain, but anyway, you're doing a lot of fucking shows and and you're um, stopping at radio stations doing And an you're doing morning Sometimes shows. Those right. would 
fucking kill me, man. Oh, and like, I, you know, having to do swing, swing, having to hit a high C at 7 a.m. <laughs> and then to play a show that night and to do it again and again. I was basically on vocal rest my for about a decade. Wow. Um, and that that changed me, man. Like I, I couldn't speak uh, after shows. So everybody in my band, we had a basically had a lip reading everybody became master lip readers. And I also became really good at talking about the things that I was trying to say. It was like my own made up sign language, but my guitarist, Mike, I remember just being in the hallway being like, so what I think we should do is we need to go fucking further every night because tonight the fucking lights were all over the fucking place. And he'd be like, but I wouldn't even be making sound. I was doing that just so you could understand right. me. But he was, that's just as bad. For I remember voice. him like, yeah, I remember him going, I can't believe I can I can understand everything you're fucking saying. He was the best at it. He was like my my intermediary. Like I was like, tell you know, tell them what I'm saying. And he'd be like, so Tyson says, <laughs> and that was like my life for ten years. And I used to be a completely different person before that um, that started. As far as like, it changed your personality, man. You 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 pick and choose your moments right. to speak. Um, I forget what where how we got down this train of thought, but. Uh, but yeah, my point is is um you know, getting off that that spinning wheel, the painted pony, uh and then you know, having time to myself to go, "Oh wow. It's been a couple years now since I've done the rejects thing. Do do I miss writing music?" And I was like, "Yeah, I do." It's nice to like come to that decision myself instead of having the ivory tower of Interscope Records and the people that inhabit it saying when are we gonna get that next record? And all all apologies to my AR guy Jeff at Interscope. He's like my mentor since I was a kid. He wasn't like that, but I felt this presence of I get that kid back in here writing the hits. Yeah. Hot shot, Jimmy Jimmy Durante. Uh, was that from that thing you do? Uh, it was like when they go to the record label, it, sir. Um, I've got it. It's yeah. funny, man. That thing you do actually was it was like a cartoon version of the real thing, but it is kind of like that because you are especially when you get into it at 17 when I did coming from a broken home these people became my parents mm. man and it was so toxic that I didn't realize it I was like oh shit I want to make mom and dad proud I want to bring the hits uh or I want right. to whereas instead of just I just want to create a good body of work not that that wasn't the goal as well but it was more just you start chasing the dragon every record that you get into it. Um, and luckily we had a good run with it. Um, but yeah, yeah hit could, after hit after hit. Were you ever in a mind space of few or no? Like, Oh yeah. Okay. This one's working now again. Oh dude. I remember when we wrote <laughs> gives you hell. Oh, I love that. that song. <laughs> cheers. I remember. Um, so when we wrote gives you hell, uh, fuck, what was I saying? Uh, we were talking about like, like few. Oh yeah. So I remember when we wrote gives you hell. I remember immediately being afraid. Like, oh, shit, this is bad. This is bad, bad. Isn't that funny? Because I was like, but I also was like, I'm afraid of this. Why am I afraid of this? It was a really weird experience. Whereas I feel like I kind of got that feeling when we wrote Dirty Little Secret, but um, uh, for the Move Along record. But yeah. here we are a record later, and I remember, I remember being up at night going, fuck, I can't stop singing this in my head. Which was usually like a good sign, or again, don't know. So it was that unknown, and then we played it for an A&R guy, and he was like, he got all kind of, you know, hot and bothered about okay. it. Okay. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, weird that I've never had that experience with someone double down my fear. 
Um, and then we put it out, and I remember Jimmy Iovine like was like, "This is a hit. My kids love it." <laughs> That's a bad impersonation. Uh, yeah, my kids love it. That's a little better. Uh, and so uh, coming out of the gate, having that, I remember feeling like, you know, we have this record. When the world comes down, gives you hells on it. They, mom and dad, like it. So we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get a push this time. You know, we did not die with with the Move Along record, right? And and that's like that's the that's the unfortunate result of like the major label system is even if there's not someone over there standing going, make the music, kid. There's still someone. There's still a voice in your head saying like, asking you is is this good enough? And, and not necessarily is this good enough for you. It's is this good enough for them? Which is uh, I think after four records. It was nice to walk away from that. And I don't know what's to come, but I know that as long as that voice isn't in my head, then, you know, I can sleep better at Have night. you gone to a lot of therapy? I see therapists all the time, by the way. I no, You know, it's funny. Really, I really, really got No, no, no. I have a lot of friends that on. go to therapy. I, uh, I mean, I probably should. Uh, well, it I've, seems like you've got, you have such great self-awareness of where you were and where you are now and where you want to be. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I th- and I, I think fatherhood has really helped me mm. understand my priorities in life. Um, and honestly, I think that existential crisis that happens after the crux of 30 really, like, I don't know. I, it's so funny. When I, I was pissing vinegar when I was a kid, all all I cared about was the present moment, but I didn't even have to consider whether or not I was present. Right. But then after, like, 30 or 31, you there's this weird voice that pops up that says, you know what is this? What is this for? What am I doing? Who am I? It's a weird thing. I, and some people obviously get that voice earlier. You know, people in their twenties can ask themselves and consider themselves. Maybe even a little later, though. Maybe even as later. As long as you find it, I think at some point, then you're growing. Yeah. If you don't I, find it, you're a screwball, and you better. You really need some. Yeah. Help. Or you're like this pure being that, like, you're, <laughs> that people sort of go, "Oh, that's the fun uncle." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But that voice came on to for me when I was in my 30s, and I was like, oh, wait, like, this is my art, for better or for worse, for whatever it is, whatever I'm offering, this is what I'm good at. I need to really protect it. And I think that has been my driving force. So with my son coming into the picture and my, my, my awesome wife, who is so supportive and incredible, I feel like I have a phalanx around me, and I'm secure in the fact that what I'm going to be doing with my music and with whatever whatever art I care, whether it's painting, whether it's being an actor, that it's something that I want to do. And it's not something that I feel like I have to do for fucking mom and dad. For validation. Yeah, for, for that for the big brother outside of me that's like that voice that was plaguing my 20s sometimes going is it good enough is it good enough um, is it, is when it was what, always good enough it was yeah. but when you were 20 18 19 20 years old and there's not a lot of validation at home and the people in your school like i don't care that you're playing in front of college kids is that one of the driving forces that got you the hell out to like look i'm good we're good we can write songs we can do this thing for me, the driving force to get me out of my my place in Oklahoma when I was a kid was, I don't want to end up like my my folks. I don't want to end up stuck in Oklahoma. I don't want to end up 
like the like a lot of my other classmen um, in the graduating class, we would go on tour, we would come back, and the same party from high school was still going. Yeah. And I remember every time I would re- return home, it was like that detachment would would be wider. And I was like, oh, this feels it feels good to feel removed from this. Like I made it out. And the last thing, I think the death sentence to me when I was a kid was if you go home, you're gonna become another brick, you know? And the last thing I wanted was to become was to disappear when I, you know, saw New York for the first time and recorded that first record. I was yeah. like this is where this is where I belong, man. Like like my grandmother always said, "Baby, you were meant for the world." Like 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 a movie, you know. And she didn't do it in a cheesy way. She do it did it in this knowing way, and I believed her. And I'm so grateful for that belief that she instilled in me and myself because I I don't know if I would have believed in myself otherwise. Um, I'm man, very happy for you, man. Cheers. What a great 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 career you built. Quick question, and we're coming up on 15 minutes, so just a few more things. It goes quick, man. It does go quick. What was what happened musically in Stillwater that got anybody's attention out there in the universe that led you to putting out the record, the first one, oh. which was like two different labels or something like that, back-to-back years or something? Yeah, so um, something to write home about by the Get Up Kids was a record that was put out on Doghouse Records. Doghouse, yes. And... Nick was listening to them and I fell in love with that record. And he, we basically just recorded this EP and started flipping over records we liked. Not big ones, not, you know, we weren't sending unsolicited music out to Capitol Records and to, even though I think we licked a couple of those stamps, but we literally basically put together a bunch of manila envelopes with a burn CD in it okay. and we sent them out. Just like you hear people doing, you know, I can't believe that's how we did it um, because that seems like such a bizarrely impossible story. Now it does, especially. Yeah. And even then it was like, we did it because we heard, you know, like, uh, uh, I think the Beatles did it, you know, like yeah. some shit, like basically an old, old band d- did it. And we were like, I guess that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> Internet doesn't exist yet. Sort of. <laughs> it did. Sort of. It was basically just sex chat rooms. <laughs> Um, which are still around, right? Uh, no, but we did that and doghouse records pulled, um, pulled our record out of the garbage can because an intern there was Dirk from who owned doghouse, Dirk and Emily, um, their niece. And she pulled us out of the garbage can because she liked the record cover and listened to it that weekend with her girlfriends, brought it back on Monday and said, you got to listen to this to, to them. And they listened to it, flew down and saw us in Tulsa at a place called Curly's. And it was me, Nick, no drummer, Casio keyboard playing drums, like on an automated disc. Um, and they, I'll never forget, I'm, you know, 17. And they pull us down after the show. And I was like, oh my God, it was fucking awful. Oh. Because we're like, you know, we don't have a real band. We're just two guys and a keyboard. Um, Are there people there watching you? Yeah, 15. 15, okay. Maybe. And the show felt really okay. And they were like, <laughs> we got to talk shop. And I never heard that turn of phrase before, you know. <laughs> we, let's go outside. We got to talk shop. And I was like, ooh, that sounds like, yeah, that sounds like something somebody balancing a cigar on the end of their hand would say. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we went outside and they were like, we're giving you a record deal. 
and I was a, I remember it was the summer of my just finished my junior year, and I came back to school with a record deal with Doghouse Records, and I had to graduate early because I was going to New York City to record with Tim O'Hare. God damn. Who did, you know, who sucked out the feeling. And I was like, I forget what that band was. Damn it, Super Drag? Super Drag. Wasn't it Super Drag? I'm not sure offhand. Do you remember that song, though? Look around, could it bring somebody down if I never wrote a song You're a great again. singer, and I can't figure it out on, on the spot uh, right now. Yeah, yeah, anyway. <laughs> so this song was like, you know, like a 90s jam. And... I'm, I, I forgive me. I'm, I'm like digressing, but we're. I got a record deal. I'm going to record a record in December. I'm walking into my senior year with a Doghouse Records T-shirt on, um, and I remember just going, <laughs> like, like the 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 veil had lifted, and all of a sudden the the school felt smaller, and maybe that's because my head was another quarter size <laughs> bigger. Um, but that was like the beginning of like this liberation of my youth of going, I'm not going to be stuck in an Oklahoma fairy tale that has a horribly mediocre ending. Um, and that was, that was like the, the coolest start to our band's, uh, you know, Genesis. Congratulations. Yeah. Cheers. Again. It was fun. When you made the next record, Howard Benson produced. Yeah. Howie. And that guy, I mean, look at that his track guy. record. I mean, you could go like TSOL and POD, Kelly Clarkson, do you guys have a say in who you work with? That record. And by the way, I'm giving nothing but props. It's such a no, big, no, no. He did. Can... He. I remember he just did my Kim's record. Yeah. Um. And I loved the way that record sounded. I. I didn't. I was such a singles kid. I remember I heard Helena on. You know, yeah. I saw the video on MTV, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, that's sick." <laughs> um. That was about as much as I absorbed that record, but I knew it, I liked the way it came out. And Jeff Sosno, our A&R guy, was like, you're going to record this record with Howard Benson. <laughs> that was kind of how it was. And I was like such a stoner that was writing. I remember the last three, we, we didn't think we were ever going to get out of writing hell. We were in Atlanta at the time. The last three songs I wrote with Nick were Dirty Little Secret, oh. It Ends Tonight, and Move Along. And, and at that point, we were... Eight weeks into this pre-production, not knowing if we'd ever get to cut a record, and Howard Benson flew down, heard us heard us play these songs in the studio. He was very like sweatpants, kind of just listening. Left, I was like, "Well, that fucking guy seems miserable." Uh, and he, uh, you know, Jeff was like, "You're gonna do your you're gonna do your record with this guy." I was like, "Oh, oh, fucking k, um, let's go." And then we flew out to L.A., cut, move along. But, yeah, Howard Benson wow. was, like, the most – he was – I remember he was, like, ha struggling with, like uh, – he had addiction issues at the time. And so we're, like, cutting a record with a guy who was ultimately only there to do vocals. Uh, and so I remember we're, 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 like, kids doing our first record in L.A. and – working with his engineers and just sort of like, we're kind of, we kind of had the whole house to ourselves, you know, and then dad would come home and I'd go sing upstairs with him and, right. and, and I'd get my demerits and, yeah. and, he, <laughs> and he'd get me to scream till I was spitting blood. And, oh my God. um, and then at the end of it, you know, dirty little secrets started getting played. Um, and that was, that was the Howard Benson experience in a nutshell, a very, very, very glossy nutshell. 
going to get can... you out of here on this. Yeah, yeah, get me out on it. Have you <clears throat> had big-time auditions that you didn't get for acting? Big-time auditions Because you said something a second get. ago, and it made me think you would have been perfect for this role. As an actor, I'm not saying... You would have been good as Vincent Chase and Entourage. Oh, Vinny Chase. Huh. <laughs> uh, no, I. it's funny. I think that was before I was... Uh, Really serious about it. Like I think I did House Bunny mm-hmm. around it's a great the time. Movie, by the way, <laughs> it's really cute. Yeah, loved it. Great experience. Um, I did that, and my manager was so dinosaur at the time that it was like, "All right, now get your ass back out on the road." And I had oh. to go. I had to go work for two two years on the road. Whereas I, looking back, yeah, it would have been fun to sort of see what I would have auditioned for when I was, you know, twenty three. Right. Um. But honestly, I think I would have. I always told myself if I moved to LA before I was thirty, I would I was gonna fuck myself up somehow. You would have gone off the deep end a little. I, I don't know. I've, I I could have. I had no self control, and luckily I had people in my life that were like, "Just don't don't come here. You're not ready for this, young Peter Pan." Right. Go 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 fly over there and never never land. It's safe. Find yourself a windy lady and just just <laughs> just play around, but don't get yourself killed. Um. And I and it was good. It was really it was the best thing I ever did was wait to wait to start my career as an actor until I was like responsible enough right. to handle Los Angeles. I don't even think I let you answer the question. Is was there a role you went in for and you didn't get and then you saw it in a movie or on TV and it's a pretty good size? And oh, you're like, shit, I can't believe look at this. Oh man. I, I guess the ones that you the one uh, what's one that got away that I felt like I really deserved? It's hard to it's hard to it's hard to really pin one down. Fuck, man. No, I mean, honestly, I don't think there's anything I've, uh, that I've auditioned for that I was like, I I would have done a better job. Just Not yet. better, but just it wasn't right for it you. It should have been for me. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, nah. Okay, you're going to pass. Yeah, on. no, okay, no, no. I right. mean, there's, there's right. nothing, there's truly nothing that I've gone out for that I was like, I was perfect for it. Um, I did, I did a couple of, I have everything I've been a part of. I've, I've really felt right to be a part of. Yeah. That's great, man. Yeah. All right. We'll wrap it right there. I feel cool. good about everything. How do you feel? We're like an hour in. I know you have a ride I know, coming and to I'm get you so pretty I'm so fucking soon. long-winded, man. No, I, I feel like, podcast. yeah, I just feel like my, my wife always is like, you know, you talk so fucking much, Ty. Uh-oh. And, and no, no, when I do interviews and stuff, she's like, just just yes or no on some of these. No. I should have been like, no. Sean, I, I should these, just be. These good answers. Oh, whatever. Everybody should look at Sean right now. You can't because there's nobody there. He's got a taxi there's driver nobody. shirt on. No, he doesn't, Striker. <laughs> there's nobody there, man. You keep calling out to this ghost, Sean. <laughs> it doesn't exist. <laughs> All right. So this is the plan for you. Uh, Prisoner's Daughter in theaters, June 30th. Also, um, super wet, goddamn hot, all-American reject summer tour, right? Yes, super. Wait, what did I say? No, the wet, hot, all-American summer tour. There it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With Newfound Glory, Get Up Kids, Motion City Soundtrack, Starting Line. It's going to be like going back into a time machine and, you know, sitting on the john and having a good time. A smooth move. more than ever. A smooth bounce move, yes, this is the album. Find the songs that I told you to listen to first. What a great artist and what a great guy. Cheers. Thanks, Cheers. man. Appreciate you, man. God, appreciate you. That's been another episode of Tune on Toast for Tyson Ritter. I am Ted Stryker. Happy snuggles. Bye-bye. Drink your water. That's another episode of Stryker's Tuna on Toast. 
promise it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. <laughs> Maybe.